it's lovely to see everyone here. I, I was a bit worried that I would be here on my own at, um, with the clocks having, having changed this morning. So is everyone feeling bright and uh, alert after an hour less sleep last night? Do you? Well, I think that was, a, that was a murmur or a groan or something like that, wasn't it? Um, well, it's, um, it's Palm Sunday today. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's the day when we commemorate the triumphal entry of Jesus into, into Jerusalem. And, and here's a, another uh, triumphal entry of... Uh... <laughs> let's, let's read from, uh, from John chapter, chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 12. The next day, <clears throat> the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it's written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. I mean, what a, what a fantastic day that must have been. An absolutely fantastic day. It would have been um, you know, crowds of people who were singing worship, waving palm branches. I mean, it would have, I mean wouldn't it be lovely today if we had, if we had palm branches or something to, to wave around? Uh, it's, a shame. it's a shame that we haven't, uh, we haven't got any, uh, any palm... Sorry? Oh, we have got some. Oh, well, they're not, not exactly palm branches. If you want a bit of space to, uh, to, to wave something around, then, then come up and have some space up here. We're going to, we're going to sing today. We're going to have some, some time to, to worship God and to sing praise to, uh, to Jesus and to, and to, if you like, recreate that time where people welcomed him as king. So, right, guys, no hitting. Okay. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's sing together from Praise the Lord, number 90. Well, in fact, we're going to sing uh, three, three pretty much together. Ni- 96, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. 41, he is exalted. And 65, Jesus, stand among us. To... To take us through that <coughs> welcoming Jesus, uh, the excitement uh, that the crowds felt at having seen their, their king, their Messiah, and then welcoming Jesus to stand with us in the service that we have, with, we have today in our time of worship and to be with us and for us to acknowledge that he's here. So let's sing together, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship uh, Jesus because, you know, he's... Uh, a, a bit of a, a hero, like, you know, when someone's won the FA Cup, you know, people get out and they, they welcome him, where they welcome the, the, the team back. We, we praise Jesus because he is actually something special, something unique in the history of, of the world. Jesus is exalted. The king is exalted on high. Lord God, we, we do come to, to meet together with, with a, a whole bunch of reasons, a whole bunch of reasons that we're here. Maybe we're here because we've been dragged along. Maybe we've been here because we need to grab a word with someone. Maybe we're here despite what we, what we might want. Perhaps we're here because we want to worship. We're here because we want to learn, we want to fellowship with each other, and we want to fellowship with you. Lord, we're here because we want to break bread and drink wine to remember Jesus and to, and to set us back on course. Lord, we're here for so many different reasons that perhaps we don't know all of them ourselves, But thank you, Lord, that you do, that you see into our hearts, you know us better than we know ourselves. And Lord, 
I do pray that this time that we share together will be one in which we are challenged, in which we are encouraged, and Lord, one that does strengthen us, that brings us closer to you. Lord, bless us, we pray, in all that we do, in all that we say, in all that we are, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I think Richard has got the announcements. Uh, On Tuesday, he's still in hospital, and we're not sure whether he's going to return home later today uh, or on Monday. He needs to convince the physiotherapy team he can negotiate the stairs at home before he's discharged. Um, if you're planning to visit Andrew, please let, sorry, visit Jack, please let Andrew Campion know. Uh, Marion is just about the same, quite weak, but in good spirits. Um, Richard Leng, uh, Becky's dad, went into hospital this week for surgery, hoping to go back today, but when we went to see him yesterday, uh, he was looking well. And please continue to pray for Rob and Ian and Gladys and Pauline and all the other members of our church who have ongoing health problems. Please also pray for those who are finding life difficult in ways that may not be easy to share. Does anyone else have anything which they'd like to like to share with us? Any uh, pastoral concerns? Lord God, before uh, a, a word is on our tongue, you know it completely, that you, you know uh, our, our thoughts and you know our concerns. And Lord, we, we bring to you those uh, of our brothers and sisters that we have been just talking about now, thinking about. And there are some whose conditions are very clear and, uh, and, and well understood and others you know, who, we, who we struggle to, to know how to help. Lord, we, we pray for, for Jack and pray for his speedy rehabilitation. And Lord, we ask that you will help us to show him... <clears throat> the love that he has shown to so many of us in in practical ways. Lord, we pray for for Marion, who still struggles. Lord, help us to help her. For Richard, uh, who has shortly to come out of hospital, and we pray, Lord, for the success of the, the surgery that he's undergone. And, and Father, we, we think about those who have very long-term illnesses, uh, who have been struggling for a long time, people like Rob and Ian and Gladys uh, and, and Pauline too. Lord, we ask that you will continue to support them and bless them. We've heard the disturbing news about Annette and her illness. And Lord, even though many of us will not have met her, even though she lives a long way from us, she's still our sister. And we grieve for her and her family. Lord, we pray that you will give her that precious time with her family now. We think about Andrew's sister, who's had a fall, and, and Lord, we again ask for, for your comfort on her, for your hand of, of, of comfort on her, that she will be strengthened, that she will be encouraged, that she will be restored. Lord, those kind of falls can be not only physically challenging, but also 
emotionally and, and, and mentally damaging in terms of confidence. And Lord, we pray that she will be encouraged and strengthened. And Patricia and Nigel, Lord, we pray for your, your comfort and your healing on, on Nigel with his recent uh, stroke. And also on Patricia, that she will be able to support him. Father, we also ask that you will go with, with Ruth uh, as she goes to Australia. And Lord, we, we pray that it will be an exciting and interesting, uh, a fulfilling time for her. And that she will know that you are with her wherever she goes. And that your arms are around her. Lord, each of us has got challenges this coming week. We've faced challenges in the past week. They'll all be different. But Lord, we pray that each of us will know the same unchanging love that you have for each of us. Amen. We're going to take a reading now from Luke chapter 21. It's th- this reading is uh, describing events that took place in that last week after, <clears throat> after Jesus came into Jerusalem in that triumphal entry. Jesus preached about the end times. So um, I've asked Rosie if she will read to us uh, Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they're about to take place? He replied, Watch out that you're not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison and you'll be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you'll defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they'll put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out, and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment, in fulfilment of all that has been written. How dreadful it would be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There would be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They would fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig trees and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is, able, that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives, and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. And they're very familiar words in many ways, aren't they? Those from, uh, from Luke 21. That certainly the, the, the phrases that, that, we, that we see conjured up there uh, bring all sorts of images to our, to our minds of, of, of the end times, of the time when Jesus comes back. We, we see in... Uh, I think the last few weeks of Jesus' life, a really um, vivid illustration of, of what we're going to sing about now in, uh, in hymn 12. In the last weeks of Jesus' life, he lives out this, um, this, this psalm, really, that the Lord is my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures green. He leadeth me the quiet waters by. Jesus took time of peace. He walked quite literally in death's dark veil. And yet he was confident that God was with him, that his father was leading him and alongside him in everything that he did. Turn back to John's Gospel, John chapter 11. <laughs> to, to us, the, um, the, the, the last week, the last month of Jesus' life is, is, is history, and we have that, that whole narrative of the triumphal entry leading into his last week, leading to his crucifixion, leading to his resurrection. Uh, the death of Jesus is written into the Gospels, it's written into, into the whole of Scripture. Um, to us, the, the, the last few weeks, uh, the last few months, sorry, in fact, all of his life, is sort of inevitably, inexorably, leading up to Golgotha. We can't read scripture without, um, w w without that kind of uh, 
perspective, without knowing how the story ends. And, and, and yet, of course, for those around Jesus, that story wasn't yet known. They were responding to him and how he was and the things that he was saying uh, on a... On, Without having that, that perspective, that, that, that long-term perspective that, that we have. <clears throat> you could say, of course, that actually they, they should have known. They should have known. I mean, they had Isaiah 53 in the same way that we have Isaiah 53. They had Psalm 22 in the same way that, that we have Psalm 22, which, which talk about his death and his suffering. But of course, they they could only see it with hindsight, and indeed, we have the the benefit of hindsight as well. But for Jesus, the trajectory of his life, he knew from an early age. He knew where his life was heading. He knew what his mission was, and he knew that it would lead to his death. He knew that when he read in Isaiah about the man of sorrows acquainted with grief, that was him. He knew that that was him. When he read Psalm 22, he knew that he would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To the one that he had walked with and fellowshiped with all his life. Jesus knew that he would die. And as he approached those last few weeks of his life, that the reality of what was going to happen, the reality of what had been asked of him began to come into a very clear focus. Not that he hadn't understood before, but now, as the, uh, as the clock was ticking, and as the days were slipping away, he inevitably began to focus on what was to come. John chapter 11. <clears throat> we read about the death of Lazarus, the death and the resurrection of Lazarus. But in some ways... I don't know about you, but almost Lazarus is, is kind of a, a bit part in, this, in the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. It, you know, it's almost as though that's kind of the backdrop, the scenery. But I think the important thing about what was going on was Jesus' interaction with Mary and Martha. And, and what we see of Jesus' character that comes out of this. <clears throat> I mean, you know... It was a, a fantastic and incredible uh, miracle of a man who'd been dead for four days being raised from the dead. But actually, that isn't, I think, what's most remarkable about what we read here. If we look at um, verse 32, um, Jesus has had a conversation with Martha a very uh, measured, very, um, if you like, a, a, an intellectual conversation with Martha because that's what Martha needed. She was a, a very practical person who needed to have things squared off. Mary was not like that. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. <clears throat> When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, they, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how much he loved him. See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not... He who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. 
It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you also, uh, that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. Then when he'd said that, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Actually, I I meant to stop at um, uh, at the end of verse 38 because... Uh, let's say the, the, the actual resurrection of Lazarus is, um, is I don't think as, as important as, as what we read in verses 33 and 38 we read that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled deeply moved it, it's, a, it's a strange word and um, uh, and I was l- looking up um, what William Barclay has to say about the word, and he he says that it's a it's a word that's sometimes used as a as a reproach, you know, talking about a reproach. And if you look at uh, in other parts of Scripture where Jesus uh, uses that particular word, it tells it's talking about sternly rebuking, and and here it's it's translated as as deeply moved, and it's it's very very strange. Why why is it? translated so differently but what he said was that the word uh, actually in Greek literature was used to describe the snorting of a horse so uh, a horse that is um, yeah, sort of well, snorting I mean I don't know much about horses I mean you know <clears throat> I've seen them uh, but uh, you know I don't know much about horses but, but you know it's that, that sense of almost like an involuntary um, an involuntary uh, snort or uh, basically an expression of emotion. <clears throat> um, in, in some translations, it's a groan. He groaned in spirit. Um, and it's, it's that sense of something which is almost involuntary, something which comes from deep within. Jesus was deeply moved. He was moved by his friend's grief. There's there's no sense here that Jesus was a bystander saying, let me through, I'm going to raise him from the dead, don't worry, it's going to be okay. He was there and he shared in their pain. He shared in their suffering. When it says he was acquainted with grief, it doesn't mean, yeah, 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 like, like I'm acquainted with horses, yeah, I've seen them, I've seen them around. But he knew deeply what it meant <clears throat> for himself. And he was troubled. We don't read about Jesus being troubled very often. And when we do read about it, it's, uh, it's very often taught when he's considering his own death. So if you look, uh, turn over the page to John chapter 12 and verse 27. Jesus says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus is talking about his own death, and he is troubled. And if you you turn over again, just a a chapter to chapter 13 and verse 21, it's the, the Last Supper. Jesus is with his disciples and he's um, he's uh, 
he's talking again about his death and about his betrayal. And in verse 21, he says, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. So, so we read about Jesus being troubled and it's generally talking about his own death. So here is Jesus at the death of Lazarus, at Lazarus's grave. And he's moved, yes. He's sad about Lazarus's death and the grief of his brothers and sisters. But he's also troubled. Now, it might be reading too much into it to say, you know, is he looking... Is this troubling to do with his impending death, which was a matter of weeks away? I'm not saying that he was the reason that he wept was weeping for himself. But at least part of his grief at that point, I think, was to do with with the fact that he knew that actually... This Mary, who was weeping for her brother, would in a few weeks be weeping for him. That, uh, that Martha, who was resigned to her brother, being raised at the last day and not seeing him again, would be saying the same of Jesus. That's not to say that it was all about, that Jesus was only focused on himself. But he's clearly deeply distressed by the sadness of Mary and Martha. And there's a part of that sadness that recognises his own forthcoming trials and death. Again, perhaps reading too much into that narrative. Again, with the benefit of hindsight. But I, I get a picture of Jesus in these last few chapters a picture of him focused on what was coming, of being moved by the suffering of his friends with whom his time was limited and also troubled by his own immediate future. But again, turn to chapter 12 and see what happens here. Mary Again, Mary makes a great gesture. Again, it's worth saying, verse, verse, uh, chapter 12 and verse, uh, verse 1. Uh, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was amongst those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Mary's Mary's gesture is is well, it's extravagance, I think, is, is the only way you can describe it. Uh, a year's wages, I mean, you know, a year's of anyone's wages on, a, on, on perfume that's poured over, over the feet. I mean, it's the sort of thing that, uh, you know, um, uh, Kim Kardashian, whoever he is, might, uh, might, might do. You know, it's, it's that kind of extravagance that, um, that, that you, know, you read about in the you know, pop stars or footballers or... Uh, multi-billionaires, but these were not multi-billionaires. These were ordinary people. But it's extravagant and bizarre on so many different levels. Uh, if someone was <clears throat> was anointed with oil, yet normally you would anoint someone to show respect on their head. Uh, and, and normally, um, if... 
you know, it wouldn't be on, on the feet. And, you know, the feet were the, were the filthy, um, unpleasant parts of the body that nobody wanted to come close to, which, again, we read about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples uh, later. Uh, a servant's job, a job that was for, um, for lowly people. And, and if Mary had enough money to splash a, a year's wages on this oil, then um, presumably there were servants who could have washed feet. The fact that she wiped his feet with her hair was unusual and a little bit scandalous. So why did she do it? Well, we know that Mary was given to um, sort of extravagance. She was a very emotional person, that she was someone who, who made grand gestures, the way that she threw herself at Jesus' feet uh, at the resur- at the uh, at the graveside was this nard what they were going to use to anoint Lazarus's body, but they didn't need, and so therefore Jesus, uh, Mary gives it to Jesus. Had she brought it as a thank you or as a goodbye? But either way, Jesus interprets it as anticipating his funeral when he rebukes the pious, pilfering Judas with his self-righteous suggestion about the poor. But of course, Judas is right. It could have fed the poor. It could have clothed the homeless But that misses the point of of the gesture that that Mary makes. At this moment in time, and perhaps the comfort that it brings to Jesus as he approached the most troubling week of his life. What is important here is not the gesture itself, but what it meant to Jesus at that particular time in the most difficult time of his life. So the next day we read about the triumphal entrance. We read that this morning. But what did Jesus do immediately after he came into Jerusalem? We don't read about it in John's Gospel, but if you turn back to, to Matthew, we see that he went to the temple and drove out the money changers. Why, why now? Why at this particular point in his ministry? Was it that he was bookending his ministry? He started his ministry by uh, turfing out the money changers and he ended it by turfing out the money changers. Or was he so focused on the importance of his mission, the, approaching, the approach of his death, that he was perhaps less tolerant of people who abused and exploited God's holy places for their own enrichment? As he went into, the, into Jerusalem, did he see that the money changers had put up their rates in time for Passover? Was the price of a pair of doves uh, increased to fleece visitors who were coming into town? Jesus responds with anger and emotion and action. In the other Gospels, we read about Jesus' teaching and preaching in that last week. We read... Um, from Luke's gospel, where Luke gives us a, a great deal of information about what Jesus preached about in the past, in the last week. But John doesn't do that. John focuses on the Last Supper. And we have uh, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 that all focus on the conversations that Jesus had over a meal with his disciples. And what are those mainly focused on? It's mainly focused on preparing those disciples for life without him physically present. In verse 1 of chapter 14, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
He tells them not to be troubled, and yet we see in a a few verses earlier that he was troubled himself. But if any man had a right to be troubled, it was him. But I think what we see in those chapters in John is that Jesus wasn't an automaton who was programmed to go to the cross. We can sometimes mistake his determination and his single-mindedness as being almost that he was stripped of normal characteristics that we have, stripped of concern, stripped of his um, fears, stripped of perhaps doubt. He was troubled by his impending death. But, despite being troubled, he was not swayed. He was not diverted from his course. He wasn't blinkered to his own emotions. He wasn't blinkered to the emotions and suffering of his friends. He wasn't drifting on a current that led him to the cross. He was taking conscious, daily decisions to follow his father's will despite the fact that it was uncomfortable and troubling despite the fact that he knew where it was leading he made the decision to prioritise God's values over the values of the world to be moved by the suffering of others and to act on that suffering and to focus on God's promises for the future Jesus made those decisions, and so should we. We're going to sing together from the hymn book, the lovely hymn that talks about about Jesus' single-mindedness, that we read about Jesus' Dedication, when I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. When John recorded the, uh, the story of the Last Supper, he devoted all those chapters to it, but he didn't mention bread and wine. He didn't talk about, uh, about the, the emblems that we're, that we're coming to share now. The other Gospels each mention the, the Last Supper in bread and wine. But John doesn't. What John does talk about is... The fact that that when he died, that wasn't the end. That he would comfort them, he would support them, he would strengthen them. And the bread and the wine that we share now is a reminder... of his presence now. Not just of his tragic and untimely death, not just of a resurrection and ascension, but of his presence in the lives of each of us. If we want him to be present in our lives. We're going to share bread and wine. Those of us who have made a commitment to him and who are trying to live our lives as if we meant that commitment. 
Paul wrote, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And they gave thanks. And Benedict is going to offer our thanks for the bread. Lord of life, we come before you now to thank you. This bread, you feed us. And it's a really helpful reminder that we're here to take, we're here to receive, we're not here to give. Because as we sang in in that hymn, we don't have anything we could give you. That could, that could add to what you've already done. If we could give you the world, it wouldn't be enough. Because what you've done for us is so much greater. And your love for us is so much greater. And so we rely on your feeding us. And as our minds are led to the cross this week, we ask you, Lord Jesus, to, to feed us. Amen. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for so much that you've done for us, not just the people of your day, but for us. Lord Jesus, we've heard that you groaned for Mary and the others. And I know that you groan for me. You groan for all of us here. That is lovely, Lord. I think we give you a lot to groan about sometimes. Lord Jesus, I know that you yearned for people. For individuals, people like Mary and Martha, but ordinary people who we read about in scripture but we don't even have a name and I know your heart yearned for them and I know Lord you yearn for me and you yearn for all of us here Lord Jesus thank you And in showing compassion, you showed them and us the passion of your Father for me and for all of us, Lord. Thank you. I would not know, we would not know the passion that God feels for us if you had not come. Holy Father, I know that when your people Israel are crushed, you are crushed. And when we are crushed, you, Father, the maker of everything, the God of the universe, the the great king, you are crushed because of us. Holy Father, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Please bless this wine to us, Lord, and let your heart be in us so that we too feel that yearning for others. Lord, thank you. Amen. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me.
but uh, there's a louder shout to come. We read in Luke 21 that there'll be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the, nation, on the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming in the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. I bet there'll be a shout or two then. I bet there'll be a shout, shouts of, of, of joy, shouts of welcome, shouts of blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. There's a louder shout to come. There's a sweeter song to hear. All the nations with one voice, all the people with one fear, bowing down before your throne. Every tribe and tongue will be all nations with one voice, all the people with one king. And what a song we'll sing on that day. We've just started to think about what you've gone through. We could see your pain, your you weep. And we know, Jesus, thank you so much for this. You show us your Father. Father God, you weeped. I know you did. You have shown us how much you value us in what you have given. Thank you, Father. Amen.